0: I wanted to somewhat wrap up a bit of an interruption that we had in the book of John. If you read Jude, you'll see Jude starts his book by saying, "I meant to come to you and share the gospel with you, but many things came up that I have to deal with right now." And in the same way, I feel it's very important for us to not be tone deaf in our church, where we are able to articulate uh, some of some clarity regarding the pressures people face in the world today so I wanted to talk with you about God government and you part three God government and you this is part three and I want to specifically talk about the Believer's response to government the Believer's response to government and we're looking to find a Biblical response amen um I wanted to read from this book Slaying Leviathan limited government and resistance in the Christian tradition Limited government and resistance in the Christian tradition. And um, uh, before I read to you, I, I thought there was something else I saw that was very interesting this week. How many of you follow Babylon B? Anybody? Babylon B? No? Oh, we got one. We got one. Okay. We got to sign up, folks. <laughs> I'm you don't have to. Uh, it's satire. For those of you that don't know what satire means, they're just being sarcastic, okay? And so I have a couple of them that I thought you would enjoy for this week. Han, do we have them ready, brother? The first one they came out with this past week, their headlines headlines read this. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Border patrol agents accused of patrolling the border. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then we had another headline that came out. It says, boss warns all new employees he will fire them immediately if people on Twitter tell him to. That's always nice to know. Uh, This one I liked. Schoolboy who hasn't seen a human face in weeks. Just glad celebrities had a good time last night. (laughs) Uh, The the final one. um, New York atheists claim religious exemption from vaccine after governor claims that it's from God. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Babylon B. That's Babylon B, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this book right here, Slaying Leviathan by Glenn S. Sunshine, just want to let you know about Glenn Sunshine. He's a professor of history um, at Central Connecticut State University and senior fellow at uh, Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He's an award-winning author. And uh, so as a biblical, as a historian and a Christian historian or historian of of Christian um, background, he wrote this I believe it came out last year, and I wanted to read to you. He says, quote, Jesus taught that we are to give to Caesar, it is to government, the things that are Caesar's, which means that Caesar really does have legitimate claim on us. Matthew 22:21, 21, Mark 12, 17, Luke 20, 25. But at the same time, however, that claim is not all-encompassing. That claim is not all-encompassing. We are to give to God, not to Caesar, the things that belong to God. Because you remember, they said to Jesus, "Ought we to pay our taxes? And Jesus said, Bring me a coin. He looked at the coin. He says, Whose image does this coin bear? They said, Caesar. He says, Well, then give to Caesar what belongs to him. But give to God what belongs to God. So at the same time, however, that claim... It's not all-encompassing. We are to give to God, not to Caesar, the things that belong to God. The government may not take on authority that probably belongs to God or by extension to the church. Things that are outside the scope of government became the subject of much political and theological reflection over the centuries, starting with the early church. One of the earliest Christian confessions was, and I quote, Jesus is Lord. That meant more politically back then than what it means today. He says on page 9, to put this in different terms, Jesus' own teaching led led the church to the idea that government has its place, but that its authority is limited. Give to Caesar what Caesar but limit him, because you have to give to God what belongs to God. This was a recipe, he says, for persecution in the power-obsessed world of ancient Rome. Sporadic persecution began under Nero in A.D. 54, And continued for centuries. And here he lists the reasons as to why the ancient church was persecuted. He says for their disloyalty to the emperor, because they claimed Jesus was Lord, Caesar was not, for their refusal to worship pagan gods, for their intolerant and bigoted belief that Jesus is the only hope for salvation. And then fourthly, for their willingness to accept women and slaves as equal members of their community, even as leaders within their communities. He says, Christians were held in contempt by the people of Rome and the leaders of Rome, the government of Rome. They were slandered, their beliefs were caricatured, their property was confiscated, and they watched as their friends, spouses, and their children were tortured to death for the amusement of cheering crowds before they were martyred themselves. He says, but because of their faithfulness, the church ended up spreading and outlasting the mighty Roman Empire itself. As Tertullian said, quote, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church, end quote. Then finally, Glenn Sunshine writes, the persecution of the church would lay the foundation for one of the core principles of Christian political theology which is the church is a distinct institution from the state. There is a separation between the church and the state. So today, I would like to establish a few things regarding the believer's response to civil government because it is my hope that you, as a believer, would live with a pure conscience before God in everything that you do. To never live in two minds, but to live confidently before God. So we would like to look at today, what is government? Secondly, understanding God's ultimate government. And thirdly, how did Jesus respond to civil government? So number one, what is government? Everything has been redefined. As you know, terms, for instance, love, is been redefined grace has been redefined. Almost every single major term within scriptures are being uh, that are being attempted to be redefined. For instance, faith is being redefined. Faith no longer means what the Bible meant for it to be. It is now what Bon Jovi used it as, right? You got to just keep the faith. So what is government? We have to redefine the terms from a biblical perspective. So when this question is asked, most people respond by equating government with politics. That's the first thing you think of when somebody says government. When they think government, they think Congress, Senate, House, they think Oval Office, they think President, they think FBI, CIA, they think IRS, they think CDC. And the list goes on and on and on and on because the governments are so extremely large. However, before World War I, this was not the case. The concept of government was always referred to as civil government. Civil government. It was never referred to simply as government. It was always civil government. All textbooks and all school curriculums in the United States as late as 1903 would refer to government as civil government without exception. Noah Webster wrote his dictionary, the 1828 version, and he defines government this way in three different ways. First, he says the government of conduct. And I quote, he writes, Men are apt to neglect the government of their temper and their passions. Men are apt to neglect the government of their tempers and their passions. What's he referring to? Self-governance. That is the first structure of government established by God. Self-control. The very last fruit of the very Spirit of God in you. Self-control. Secondly, Webster's Dictionary quotes uh, writes, the, ex- the exercise of authority by a parent or householder the exercise of authority by a parent or householder. Quote, he writes, Children are often ruined by a neglect of government in parents. Let family government be like that of our Heavenly Father, mild, gentle, and affectionate. So here we see he identifies the term government as family government. So first it was self-governance, then it's family governance. Are you guys called? Family go- self-governance, then family governance. Thirdly, he writes, the exercise of authority. Quote, the direction and restraint exercised over the actions of men in communities, societies, and states. The administration of public affairs according to the established constitution laws and usages. End quote. So Webster did not define government as exclusively civil or political. However, when you listen to our current media, you will notice the word government has become synonymous with civil government. They no longer say civil government. They only say government. Typical statements used by our media could read, the government releases crime figures. Well, immediately you imagine government being all those entities we mentioned earlier. Or they would say the government sets Educational policies. I guess they're in control. The government. Or maybe this institution follows government guidelines. And so civil is never used anymore. And the point here is that our civil government is now referred to as the only government in our society. Let me say that again. Our civil government, government that was only civil, is now become front and center as the only government in our society. This is done intentionally because by exclusively referring to our civil government as the only government, it eliminates the awareness of all other governments in our society that was established by God. And God will still hold them accountable for their own responsibilities. I want to read to you from God and Government, a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective by Gary DeMar. If, if you need to, if you can read 600 pages, you should really get this because this book is absolutely fascinating and it's pretty incredible. But I wanted to read to you just a portion. He says right here that the civil government of the United States is decentralized. We are a single nation made up of, an, of a number of sovereign states. The many states created the single nation out of many, one. He says, government then... Government, then, within our American Christian heritage, which was formulated from biblical principles, begins with the individual and extends outwardly to include all institutions. Presently, however, most Americans are unaware of the varied nature of government. The civil government has as assumed responsibility, or the civil government has assumed responsibility to be the government overall. It is said that Americans are thankful that Washington has relieved them from what they believe is the heavy burden of governing themselves, their families, churches, and schools. He says then, if the people of the United States do not once again establish self-governance, family governance, church governance, local governance, state governance, and national government in their proper places with proper authorities given to them and powers given to them, our nation is doomed because we will continue inching towards tyranny as one government keeps on swallowing up the powers and the authorities of all other established governments within society. So it's something to think about because this government happens to have been built around the scriptures and upon the Bible. And I wanna show you a few things that's very interesting the last time we discussed this topics, we concluded that society is built upon four distinct governments, right? The first one we just mentioned is self-governance, is self-control. The second one is family governance, where the parents are the head of the house, the father is the head of the wife, the father is the head of the, the house. We also have church government, and then we have civil government. But these four different governments all derive their legitimacy from God. Every one of them. That means according to scriptures, God established each and every one of these spheres of authority. You'll find them all over scriptures, but let me just read you this one verse. In Romans 13, verse 1b, it says, There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. There is no authority except from God, and those authorities, plural, that exist are established by God. There is never just one authority anywhere. The whole idea of balancing powers is a scriptural idea. Each sphere has its own means of exercising its authority within it its own jurisdiction. So we have self governance, and in personal life, God gave the individual a conscience with which to govern itself or himself or herself. Secondly, in family life, God gave the parents the rod to govern their children. In church life, God gave the church leadership the keys to the kingdom by which to govern this universal body of Christ and to exercise excommunication for the unrepentant believer or the unrepentant within the church. And then fourthly, in civil government, God gave authorities the sword the instrument of death, to punish the evildoer. Not the healthy, peaceful, tax-paying citizen, the evildoer ought to be punished. However, there are not only four structures of authority to consider. There's, uh, uh, the, there's another, another authority to consider, and it's God's government. God is sovereign, and He rules independently. His government is the only government that does not answer to another government there are no checks and balances with only one government, and it is God's government. But when the Bible speaks of government in the plural, it is referring to multiple authority structures on earth. But when Scripture speaks of government in singular, it is referring to the ultimate government of God, for which all governments derive their authority and are accountable to. All governments. So here is an example in Scriptures using government in the plural. It says in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, plural, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Very clearly, God is showing us that there are multiple authorities in society, and every single one of them is established by God. Every single one of them derive their authority from God, their legitimate authority their legitimate right to exist from God and they are going to be accountable to God as an authority. All authority structures are delegated authorities. God delegated to them positions of authority to do His bidding, not theirs. I wanted to read to you from the San Francisco Chronicle. The San Francisco Chronicle, it says, quote, Justice Antonian Scalia, unsurprisingly, expresses a definite view consistent with his long-held position in in religion cases. He called the Ten Commandments, quote, a symbol of the fact that government derives its authority from God. Adding, quote, that seems to me an appropriate symbol to put on government grounds. Ten Commandments. So consider how the Bible sets God's government as ultimate and supreme. The only government that does not answer to a higher government is God's, and here we go. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7a. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, singular, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 of the increase of His government, singular, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. There's only one singular government that holds all other governments responsible for the positions that derive from that government, and it is God's government. So from the moment Jesus was born, His government was birthed, And not only has it increased throughout every age, the promise is that there will be no end to the increase of His government. This, to me, is so exciting because it gives me such a great perspective of what God is doing and where God is going throughout the history of humanity. Think about it. When the Apostle Paul walked the earth, Christianity was made up of a few hundred people around the whole known world practicing an illegal religion. Oppressed, imprisoned, enslaved, murdered. But can you imagine the influence Christianity has around the world today in comparison to what it was back then, during the apostolic age? Imagine Paul walking the earth today. I'm like, wow. Now, there's a, there, there was a lot of heresy going on then. There's a lot of heresy going on now. But think about how his kingdom has expanded. Jesus has been building His church for 2,000 years. Jesus does not establish His kingdom by revolution. Jesus always establishes His kingdom by regeneration. So we are looking at the Scriptures proving that God's government is not equal or submitted to any other earthly government, but is sovereign over all earthly governments. In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm always amazed hearing people preach that he's not in authority right now. He's absolutely in authority right now. Why is it that people constantly attempting to take his kingship away from him now? They don't want to say he was king then and he will be king then. In the future, he was king in the past. He's king in the future, but not king right now. He was sovereign then. He will be sovereign in the future, but he's not sovereign right now. No, all authority was given to Him in heaven and on earth. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. So God raised Jesus up, puts Jesus on His right hand. It says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. You see, He's always been an authority. He's always sovereign and supreme in every way, as an adjective and as a noun. We believe that He is sovereign and He is God. And then verse 22 says, And He put all things under His feet and gave his, gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Job twelve twenty-three says, He raises up a nation and then destroys it. I mean, look at this. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? He raises up a nation and then destroys it. He makes it great and then reduces it to nothing. Who answers to who? Psalm 75 verse 7. It is God alone who judges. He decides who will rise and who will fall. In other words, nobody rises to power unless God lifts them up. You got like, there have been many evil leaders. I know God rose, God raised them up as judgment over the nation in which they ruled. He did it throughout history. He's still doing it today. No earthly government can claim independence from God's government because Jesus is the Lord and is the Lord of all lords and he is the king of all kings. That's exactly what that means. It's a political statement. 1 Timothy 6.15 He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. See, our God is the only sovereign who delegated authority to earthly kings and to earthly lords, earthly rulers, earthly governments and presidents. Then He takes it away from them whenever He wishes. But He does so in order to fulfill His purposes. You and I live in a very, very exciting time in history. Whatever you see happen, you go like, God's at work. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God even in the day you live. You see God working. You see, the problem is when people act as if their civil government has the highest authority... They become guilty of replacing Almighty God with civil government. You cannot treat government like they are your ultimate authority. That is called idol worship. If God is not your highest authority, obviously civil government is. That is why, historically speaking, atheistic societies tend to elect socialists and communist governments to rule over them. Because as an atheist, the highest authority there is to the atheist is government. There is nothing beyond their government. So the more atheistic a nation becomes, the more power they invest, or total power they invest, in a more supreme government that rules over them. A government that answers to nobody above them. You see, they give themselves to a government that is ultimate. That's what I mean. A government that is not held accountable by any other government beyond it. If there is no supreme God you appeal to, then there is no higher authority except for civil government. John 19.10 through 11 says, So Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered Pilate, the politician of the day. He says, quote, You would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from where? Above. No one has authority unless God gives it to them. All earthly authority is derived from God. So we have to view earthly governments from a biblical perspective and not from a pagan, humanistic, atheistic perspective. You have to see them for who they are. They are not the government. They are the civil government. They are one of many. They are legitimate because Jesus said so. Give to Caesar what is his. But they are limited. Give to God what is his. Now to know the difference between the two, now there comes something else. 400 pages. Go read it yourself. <laughs> you don't have the time for me to read it. You read it. But it's fascinating what the Bible actually says on the subject. See civil government for who they are. Relate to them as you should, which is scripturally every time in every situation. God does not, or Jesus does not build his kingdom by means of revolution. He does so by means of regeneration. Always remember that. Number three How did Jesus respond to civil government? How did Jesus respond to civil government? In Mark 12 verse 13 through 17, I'd re- read it to you. it says, "Then they sent home, or said some of the Pharisees, sorry, more sleep would do. <laughs> then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, "Teacher, we know that you are truthful and do not care what anyone thinks, for you are not partial to anyone, but you teach the way of God in truth." That's called throwing sunshine at somebody, right? They were trying to trap him. Is it permissible to pay a a poll tax to Caesar or not? Are we to pay or not to pay? But he, knowing the hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a a denarius to look at. And they brought him one, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, pay to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at him because they couldn't trap him. Here are a few truths we can draw from Jesus' response to those who attempted to trap him with this question. The first is that Jesus affirmed civil government, of course, as we mentioned, that they have the right to exist. They have legitimate authority and power. They will be held accountable for what they do with that. However, this does not mean Jesus affirmed affirmed, uh, all of Caesar's practices. You see, citizens are not obliged to remain silent when a practice of any government is ungodly. Let me say that again. Citizens are not obliged to remain. You are not told to be silent by God. when. A practice of any government is ungodly or unscriptural or interferes in God's structures of authority. God has established structures of authority, and when they interfere with the structures of authority, then you ought to speak up. Believers should be the first to demand that rulers acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, that He is Lord also of them. After all, we were given the great commission by Jesus Himself to do just that. In Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. All authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Not just subjects of nations, but nations which include their governments. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, the nations, including their governments, to follow all that I commanded you to follow all that I commanded you. Jesus is telling you to speak truth to power and command them to obey Christ, not Marx. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. You see, men of God throughout time confronted, accused, warned, and rebuked governments throughout, throughout the Bible. Elijah confronted Ahab. He even said, and the dogs will lick Jezebel's blood from the ground. It wasn't like he was nice. <laughs> Nathan confronted King David. He said, and, and, and the sword will be in your family from here on out. John the Baptist confronted Herod Antipas. He knew he was going to pay a price for it. I mean, they had already thrown him in prison, and he did pay a price for it. Herod had his head on a platter. He was beheaded for confronting Herod Antipas. So we see that Jesus affirmed civil government, that they have the right to exist, and that they have legitimate powers and legitimate jurisdiction. Legitimate jurisdiction. Yet at the same time, Jesus didn't affirm all that Caesar did, stood for, practiced. On the contrary, throughout Scriptures we see men confronting power. Secondly, what we see from this verse, or this portion of Scriptures that we read in Mark 12, is that Jesus limits what Caesar can do only to what he has been given. Nothing more. Caesar is limited. Only to what's been given him. And he's completely out of bounds, violating the jurisdictions when he steps beyond what was given him. (coughs) Jesus even commanded us to pay our taxes because that is a legitimate authority and jurisdiction that Caesar has. That's why we pay our taxes as faithful, healthy, peace-loving citizens who ought never to be threatened by the government. If Caesar steps out of his jurisdiction and demands you to start worshiping idols, guess what? You obviously ought not to comply, right? If Caesar demands you to stop preaching the gospel, you ought to not comply. If Caesar requires you to stop gathering as a church, then he's demanding something he has no right to demand, He's without his, outside of his jurisdiction, and his image is not on you or on the church, and you ought not to comply because you carry, you bear God's image. You were made in the image and the likeness of God, and give to God what belongs to God. That coin has Caesar's image on, and it is the likeness of Caesar. Give to Caesar what is his. If he asks for more taxes, go ahead and pay him more taxes. But he does not have authority over self-governance over your body. Give to Caesar his money. Give yourself to God. Caesar has no legitimate right to do what your body do with your body what he pleases. Because you carry God's image. Sam, can you make it one degree warmer? Thank you. <laughs> now you're pushing it. One and a half if you can. <laughs> Give them the pinky and they grab the hand. Why don't you just turn it 85 degrees? <laughs> you see, your money may carry His image, but your body carries God's image. He has to take His demands off of your body. Number four. What about separation between church and state? This is very important because we read that earlier in, um, in the Gary DeMar book, Right? There is a legitimate difference between church and state. Now, of course, that's been redefined as in the church is now over the state, but that's not what that means. There is a difference, there is a separation between church and state, and the reason for that separation is so that the church wouldn't infringe, or the, ch- the state wouldn't infringe upon the rights of the church. That's why we had Puritans, separatists, we had the Quakers. We had the Huguenots. They all came here from all over the world. They came here for what reason? Because the state was not going to violate their religious rights. They could worship their God, our God, freely. We learned that on Wednesday nights. So what about separation between church and state? We are told... And we hold the idea of separation between church and state, but we cannot buy into the idea that church relates to God and the state does not. Here it is. It's huge. Both church and state are under God. Both Christ Nation and the Oval Office answers to God. We are both under God. We both derive our, our authority and our structure from God. You individually, your governance, self-governance, is derived from God as an individual, and that's why we have, uh, um, you know, the United States was built the way it was built. I mean, it's fantastic, the fact that the individual is championed because God gave us self-governance. You are a legitimate government all by yourself. Governing your own passions and your own lusts, your own thoughts, your own deeds, your own actions, and that's why the individual needs to be held accountable for their crime and not communities. Society is not guilty for the individual's crime. Self-governance. So we cannot buy into the idea that only the church is responsible to God, the individual's not. The family is not because they've already destroyed the family. And certainly not the government because we are a secular government. No, we are not. Even Mao was not exempt from answering to God. He received what he received from God. So did Hitler and so did every other tyrant throughout history. Raised up and brought down by the hand of God. So what has clearly happened, especially now, is that the concept of separation between church and state has come to mean for many the separation of state and God. Not true. We see the state as ordained by God, answerable to God, held accountable by God, and will be brought down by God. So today my goal was to erase some of the confusing portions of thought as we walk through what we're walking through. And the reason I would like to take the time to do this is simply because, can, do you really think for a moment that people who have now gained more authority and more power are suddenly going to relinquish that? Or do you think that they are now going to see how this works and they're going to go to the next, the next plan... <laughs> you know, the next strategy to gain even more of the same. There's no possible way people who are, and this is the definition of a tyrant, A tyrant's the one who will violate other authority structures in order to bolster their own, right? Where they become answerable to no one but to self. I mean, honestly, who makes the laws in this nation? Who, who makes the laws? Yeah, so we have a whole system, right? It has, it has to go through Congress, right? Okay, it's not, it's not, now we have mandates that are viewed as laws that never even went through a system, right? And so what that, that's important to understand. Why? Because that is a sign of a government starting to answer to no one. The checks and balances no longer really function the way they should, and society is just running with it. Can you see what I'm saying? The making of a tyrant is simply that. Swallowing up authorities around them, becoming the sole government, not the civil government only, not one of five different governments, but one government by themselves, answering to no one. I mean, think about it. There's actually a term for that. It's called gangster state. (laughs) You know what a gangster does? I know, I come from a family. (laughs) <laughs> Robert was mentioning, Dad, did you realize that, was it New York and Chicago, just where, where the Italians go? <laughs> but think about, yeah, I know. Think about, uh, what's the guy's name? I keep forgetting, Al Capone, yeah. So what did Al Capone do? If you don't do what I tell you, you have no, you have no business. You're done, I'll take away your job. Do what I tell you, or I'll give you two-week notice. That's a gangster state right there, isn't it? You're done. i got no means of making a living. Why not? Because I didn't do what they told me to do. That's gangster state. Answered to no one. Didn't push laws through the regular, the regular system. They came up with it, gave it different names, guidelines, requirements, mandates. They don't even use the word law. They expect you to treat it as such because they circumvented the system, putting themselves in a place that God never gave them. But how do you respond to that is the question. You see, Jesus builds His church, and He's not going to build His church if if the executive branch allows Him to. That's not how this works. He's going to build His church because we submit to His laws, His regulations, His jurisdictions, and the way He put life together. Imagine a world where everybody exercises self-governance by use of the conscience God gave them. Do what you know is right to do. And be guilty for what you know you're guilty for and repent for it. Receive forgiveness and reconciliation. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where there are two parents in every household and they are raising their children in the padea or the culture of God where they are responsible for raising their children to be good, peaceful, peace-loving citizens. Tax-paying citizens. Imagine a world like that. Imagine a world where the church isn't always pandering towards the government because we've got to keep our tax-exempt status. Oh, we won't, we won't teach on Romans chapter 1 because, you know, we don't want to get on anybody's wrong side we try to just shut down, right? Meet me in my basement. I don't have one, but I'll find somebody with a basement, right? <laughs> Imagine a church that would actually preach God's standards, God's way of doing things. Going to the nations, preaching the gospel, commanding nation to obey all that Christ has taught us. Imagine a government governing within their jurisdiction holding evil accountable for the benefit of the righteous instead of holding righteous people accountable and letting evil run loose imagine a government that would do the right thing imagine a world like that well this is how god set it up and the government and and, and a society that does not have those governments in place being responsible within the jurisdictions that they live it'll become more and more dysfunctional. So today, I just wanted to let you know that we have to see things clearly from a scriptural perspective. We have to see that there's been violations that have taken place, even inside of our congregation, people being threatened, losing their jobs, having to quit, having to give up their their bread and butter. because there's been a violation and an overthrow of self-government. They don't care about self-government anymore. They government. On top of that, there's a violation and the overthrow of conscience because self-governance is by means of conscience. And so I know, I know that even the Roman church, there was a statement made, nobody is, nobody is free to use religious exemption for certain things today. Well, that's wrong because a civil government has now taken over or violated self-governance that's ruled by conscience and not by church. You see, here's the deal, you have to, this is where your theology comes home to roost. Who's responsible? Who's responsible deciding the health of the children in your home or your your wife's health or your own, who's responsible? First and foremost, self-governance, right? They're responsible for that. And everybody's different, so you know what works for you. Your neighbor can't tell you what to do with your, with, your, with your health, what medicine not to take, what medicine to take. That's yours, self-governance. So that's why I encourage people in the church, stop telling everybody what, what you do with your health. Just stop telling people. Like, if you take whatever you want to take, take it. Nobody's stopping you. But don't make everybody do what you do right? Because what's good for one kills another. So there's a violation of self-governance. There's a violation of conscience. It's never good for you to go against conscience. There's a violation and an overthrow of that government. There's a violation and overthrow of the family governance. Because now not even the, not even the parents have rights to decide what's going to happen with their children. This is the overthrow of a God-ordained authority structure on the earth. And it was overthrown by civil government. And then there's there's a huge violation here, violation of rendering to Caesar what belongs to God, which is the individual. So on five counts... There are five violations the overthrow of self governance, the overthrow of conscience, the overthrow of family governance, and the overthrow of rendering, violating, uh, the violation of rendering to Caesar what really belongs to God in the first place. Give to Caesar what belongs to him. Pay higher taxes if he tells you to. Drive the speed limit. But give to God what belongs to God. Amen. Did that clarify some things for you? Awesome. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you open our hearts and our minds that we can see how you rule. The single government above all other governments is upon Christ's shoulders. And of its increase, there is no end. It has been increasing, it is increasing, and it will be increasing, and no one can stop it. God, you will raise up a nation only to bring it down. The nations rage, but the Bible says, tells us that you laugh and mock as they do. But Lord, thank you for allowing us to live in this very, very exciting time in the history of humanity Lord, where we can be a light, where we can look into Your Word and see, Father God, how You have called us to live the way You have decided to establish Your rule. And Lord, may we be clear-minded, clear-headed, and sober in our thoughts as we walk through the beginning of a very interesting season in human history. Thank you, Father God, that none of us will ever, be, will ever be in two minds regarding how we respond to you. That we will never give to another what belongs to you. That our allegiance is to you. Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You are the Sovereign, Almighty, and Supreme. Thank you, Lord God. Whatever is in the future that we will now establish and now decide what we will do when we get there. Amen.